Well, good morning, everyone, and welcome. If it's your first time visiting today, I just want to sincerely say thank you for coming. Thank you for visiting Embassy Church. I pray that you experience and you witness what it's like to worship and experience God's presence in the house of the Lord this morning. I want to sincerely thank the elders for giving me this opportunity to come and declare the excellencies of God's word. So thank you. Also, I personally want to thank the fellow bombs for generously hosting me all summer. It has been a tremendous blessing, and I am so indebted to you. Now, today, our psalm is going to be Psalm 74. You can go ahead and turn your Bibles there to Psalm 74. The title of this message today is A Song of Remembrance. Psalm 74, found on page 455 of that Black Pew Bible, if you are looking. And here at Embassy, we believe but the Bible is God's word to us, revealing us, to us, the origin of the world, why it seems there's chaos and ruins everywhere, how God sent his son to restore this world and the disorder and deliver us, and how he is currently making all things new. If you don't know this story of the Bible, and I encourage you to take one of these Black Pew Bibles home with you. Read it for yourself. Discuss. Talk about it. Come to me. Come to Pastor Phil. Any of the elders. Any of the members. And remember what God has done for you. Let's begin today with a word of prayer. Our Father in heaven, you are mighty. The King who is over all. Father, would you call to mind your promises? Would you move in our hearts today by the power of your spirit to see the majesty of Jesus, our Lord? Give us ears to hear, O oh God. Please make much of your name through your holy word. Amen. Did you know it is estimated that approximately 100 churches or more close down every week in the United States? Did you know in 2019, about 3,000 Protestant churches closed down, but 4,500, 3,000 opened, and 4,500 Protestant churches closed, and that's just before the pandemic. Can you imagine what the statistics are today? Now ponder with me for a second. What would you do if Embassy Church joined these ranks and became part of this statistic? How are you going to respond? How are you going to respond to a tragedy like this? While experiencing church closure or a congregational split, as I know many of you have this morning in this room, it's very easy to walk away and get angry and frustrated at the dismantling of your community. It's easy to feel isolated and abandoned by God. God, where are you? In fact, that might just be the most appropriate feeling you should have in that time. But yet, in times of ruin, we must remember God is faithful to his covenant. 
I believe God gives us an example of how to respond to tragedies like this in Psalm 74. As I read, I want you to notice a few key words or themes. Look for the word remember, the sanctuary or meeting place. The phrase, your name. And notice how the psalmist questions God and cries out to him. Let's read it together. Psalm 74, starting in verse 1. A mascal of Asaph. O oh God, why do you cast us off forever? Why does your anger smoke against the sheep of your pasture? Remember your congregation, which you have purchased of old, which you have redeemed to be the tribe of your heritage. Remember Mount Zion, where you have dwelt. Direct your steps to the perpetual ruins. The enemy has destroyed everything in the sanctuary. Your foes have roared in the midst of your meeting place. They set up their own signs for signs. They were like those who swing axes in a forest of trees. In all its carved wood, they broke down with hatches and hammers. They set your sanctuary on fire. They profaned your dwelling place of your name, bringing it down to the ground and they said to themselves, we will utterly subdue them. They burned all the meeting places of God and the land. We do not see our signs. There's no longer any prophet. And there's none among us who knows how long. How long, O oh God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name forever? Why do you hold back your hand, your mighty right hand? Take it from the fold of your garments and destroy them. Yet God, my king of, from, is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of the sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split open the spring brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day, yours also the night. You have established the heavenly lights and the sun. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made summer and winter. Remember this, O Lord, how the enemy scoffs. A foolish people reviles your name do not deliver the soul of your dove to the wild beast. Do not forget the life of your poor forever. Have regard for the covenant. For the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Let not the downtrodden turn back in the shame that the poor and needy praise your name. Arise, O God, defend your cause. Remember how the foolish scoff at you all the day. Do not forget the clamor of your foes, the uproar of those who rise against you, which goes up continually. For this is a living and active word of God. Amen? Here in the Psalms is God's example to his people of how we are to remember he is faithful even in times of ruin. This is the point I want to press into you this morning. That in times of ruin, remember God is faithful to his covenant. In times of ruin, God is faithful 
to his covenant. I believe this song illustrates three important aspects of how we as God's sheep are to corporately and personally lament when God's house is ruined. I'll lay this out in three ways today. Point one, cry out to the Lord to remember. Point two, remember God's past acts of deliverance. And point three, remember God is faithful to his covenant. Cry out to God and remember his past acts of deliverance, and he is faithful to his covenant. So our point, point one, cry out for the Lord to remember, verses 1 through 11. Verses 1 through 11 give a true feelings of the emotion and heartache the psalmist is experiencing here. The psalmist in the first verse invokes God by begging the question, why? Why has God cast off his own people, the sheep of his pasture? Is his anger going to last forever? He's pleading on the behalf of God's character of the great shepherd who faithfully cares for his flock. He's pleading for this God, this great shepherd, who now has seemed to abandon them. Seen in verse 1, it says, Why have you cast us off forever, God? God had continually warned them of the judgment to come through his prophet Jeremiah. And when they refused to change, he used the Babylonians against him. Did you hear our second scripture reading this morning? In 2 Chronicles 36, that Phil read for us? This judgment was the result of God's anger for the persistent rebellion of the Israelites against him. And now experiencing the pain and distance from God as his temple has been destroyed and they've been separated from the land that he has promised them. We are taught to call out to God to remember his redeemed congregation. This is exactly what the psalmist is doing. Verse 2, it says, The redeemed congregation which God has purchased of old from the bondage of slavery in Egypt. Think about the importance of the temple would have had for the Israelites. Throughout the Psalms, we have this example. Look back down and just a chapter back, Psalm 73, verse 17. Until I went into the sanctuary of God, then I discern their end. Asaph in Psalm 73 could not find any relief for a struggling soul until he found hope in the sanctuary on Mount Zion. Now years later, in the same line of Asaph, we see the psalmist lamenting the ruins of this temple that was where God's people went to find comfort. They are lamenting the tremendous loss and pain of being separated from their home where God brought them after delivering them from slavery in Egypt. But the central problem this community is facing is not the temple's destruction. It's the implications of God's inactivity in the wake of calamity. Don't forget that this temple was built, not built. It was not built because God needs somewhere to dwell, a place to live. Rather, it was built on behalf of the Israelites so that they could draw near to him 
and offer worship to their great and mighty king. It was a reminder of God's covenant to them. Now the people grieve the loss and beg God to stop this intentional inactivity. Look down at verses 10 and 11. How long, O God, is the foe to scoff? Is the enemy to revile your name? Why do you hold back your hand, your right hand? Take it from the fold of your garments and destroy them. Now God, appearing to merely be standing by with his hands in his pockets, watching the exile take place. His people suffering, his sanctuary completely ruined. The people in exile now request for God to do something. Take action, God. Destroy the enemy. He's destroyed your house. And still your justice and mighty power. This is what the psalmist is requesting. But he's not pleading purely for this selfish motive. It's actually, in fact, it's far from selfish. It's a call for God to remember his name and for it not to be mocked. Not to be mocked at the destruction the enemy has caused. Psalm 74 is a cry that God's name would be honored. Look at verse 7. They profane the dwelling place of your name. Notice the theme. And the immense desire for God's name not to be made light of through, light of through this song. Look at verse 10. Is enemy to revile your name forever? And the third time in verse 18, and a foolish people reviles your name. And yet the last time he uses this phrase was so that the Israelites can turn to God and praise him. Verse 21, let the poor and needy praise your name. You could find these questions of why, God? How long? How? You could find them to be almost disrespectful. Don't you know that God told you you were going to go into exile? It's almost disrespectful because isn't God the one who instituted Babylon to go and take Israel into uh, exile? But these questions illustrate a legitimate concern and deep disappointment that people had while in exile. While revealing the urgency of faith for God's name to be properly worshipped in his house, the posture of this psalmist should teach us that we have a God that desires us to come to him even in the heaviest, angriest, loneliest, emotion-filled moments and cry out to him, how long? God, remember because it feels like you've forgotten me. Our king wants to come us, us to come to him because he is our great shepherd. Even when we kick and bite, he will always take care of us. This psalmist shows us how to cry, and it shows us how to cry out to the Lord to remember them and their pain and suffering. The psalmist is teaching us how to turn to God and not to stuff. And so next time you feel as though God has his hands in his pockets and is not intervening in your trial, lament. Lament as the Bible has demonstrated. 
And lament is not merely just crying out to God and whining, God, how long? And I curse you, world. No. Lamenting is giving God your, all your heart, all your emotions. But it's a uniquely Christian practice that turns to God in times of ruin. It's not turning your sin, to your sinful habit to soothe your pain. It's not numbing out your emotions by distracting yourself by hours and hours of Netflix and social media scrolling. Lament is not turning to your favorite savory sweet. Rather, it's turning and savoring the sweetness of Jesus. Lament has this unique Christian intention, and it has a destination of your heart to choose to trust and hope in the sovereign king, to cry out to him. Now, to cry is, to, is just human. We all do it. To lament is Christian. So cry out to the Lord to remember in the midst of the moments God feels far away and inactive, just as the psalmist has taught us. Have you ever thought about if God has truly abandoned his church, what do you think that would look like? How would it affect the church of the United States of America? What would it look like if God took his presence from Embassy Church? I truly believe Embassy Church that would be the day we close our doors. Because from the testimony I've received, from what I've witnessed in the last two and a half years of Embassy Church, we are a church filled with the Spirit of God. It's demonstrated all throughout how you care and love for one another. How you'll stop and you pray for a brother who's just here to request, hey, I'm witnessing to this coworker. It's opening up your homes to those that don't have one for a summer. <laughs> or it's just opening up your homes to host a community group. It's the deep desire to pray for and on behalf of this church, the city, the world. It's because of you, Embassy Church, and God's Spirit working in you. If His Spirit were not here and we were left, I believed this church would be nothing. So take courage that even in the places of worship, when they are destroyed, when embassies a church, not a church, maybe in 100 years, 250 years, God doesn't need a church. When places of worship are destroyed, God's worship will always continue. His worship will never stop. So we cry to God to remember, not for us, but for the honor of his name. Then in the middle of this song, you're going to see the psalmist shift gears quite rapidly. You see the psalmist take a moment to encourage his soul and the souls of this congregation. He remembers God's past acts of deliverance. And this is going to be our second point today. In verses 12 through 17, remember God's past deliverance. Verses 12 through 17, we see God, the psalmist, remembering God's past acts of deliverance. Now, it takes a big shift of mood, yes, 
because it goes from all that crying to God and lamenting to verses 6, from verses 6, and then it changes to acknowledging his character and daring to hope in this God. Now look at the text. I want you to underline if you are comfortable writing in your Bible or just notice the section repeats the word you in reference to God or underline the word God too. Verse 12, it says, Yet God, my King, is from old, working salvation in the midst of the earth. You divided the sea by your might. You broke the heads of sea monsters on the waters. You crushed the heads of Leviathan. You gave him as food for the creatures of the wilderness. You split up the springs and brooks. You dried up ever-flowing streams. Yours is the day. Yours is also the night. You have established the heavenly lights. You have fixed all the boundaries of the earth. You have made the summer and winter. Though it may appear odd at first, in the context of this psalm, these verses are beautifully placed. After the psalmist cries out for God to remember, he then ponders the God's work a past deliverance to his people. This section is calling out back out to the Exodus story and God's account of creation to demonstrate the mighty faithfulness of God. He confesses that God, who is the mighty king of old, is the same one who purchased and redeemed his people from the hands of Pharaoh. Recollecting the Exodus story in verse 12, where God saved the people from Egypt by parting the Red Sea by his mighty power, This song reflects how God rescued his people from of old so that the king of old could receive glory and protect his own people. These acts of deliverance of his people, God gives confidence in the Lord's sovereign power as the great God who is the transcendent king who continually does acts of deliverance on the earth. He's created the world. Summertime, the wintertime. He controls it as a sovereign Lord. Verse 16. Look, the psalmist even recounts how the God is so powerful that he crushes the heads of Leviathan and casts them off into the wilderness. If you're like me, I don't remember that story in the Bible. And you're probably right to guess, I I don't think that's in there. It's not. It's likely that this psalmist was using this as an analogy to confess trust in God. Because this figure of Leviathan is drawn from an ancient Near Eastern myth, uh, which spoke of the seven-headed sea creature that was defeated by the pagan god Baal every year to contain the forces of chaos that were represented through the Leviathan. It's likely that this account is a literary play on our creation narrative to the creation narrative of the pagans and comparing the grandeur of our mighty God revealing that even this gigantic force is so easily killed by God thrown into the wilderness to be eaten. 
God in his infinite power as creator king is the one who crushed the heads of Leviathan with ease. This is the psalmist. This is the God the psalmist is confessing trust in. Reminding himself of these past acts of deliverance to comfort his soul in times of ruin while the temple is destroyed. God who has given the order to the world and deliverance from the people from the land of Egypt is the same God we must remember. We likewise should step back from our trials and affirm the truth how God has been faithful throughout all our lives. We need to engage our minds and our prayers in the moments of doubt and anxiety that the Lord will deliver us because he has delivered us in the past. I think it's amazing the longer you're a Christian, the more you're able to look back. Do you remember? Remember how God delivered us? Do you remember how God provided for us? So we need to remember that God is always able to deliver his people. As Christians, we can say something like, Lord, you are the God who saved me back then. Saved me from the darkness. The one who will deliver me from this trouble. Confess hope in God. Take hope that he will deliver his people forever. It's as the psalm evokes memories of God's deliverance to show himself and the people how God is always and forever faithful to his character. His promise through his covenant. So, what are you going to do when someone comes up to you after church today and she says she's struggling and discouraged by the weight of her sin? I gossiped again. I don't want to do that anymore. Are you going to remind her how God has been faithful in the past to forgive and he will be faithful again? What about the brother that calls you in the middle of the week? Man, I I messed up again. I don't think God could ever love me. What are you going to do? Are you going to remind him of the gospel? How God has saved him from the ruins of his sin. This is exactly what this part of the psalm looks back to do. To remember God's past deliverance. It's helping us, the congregation, take our eyes off ourselves and look back at the cross of our Savior Jesus. And remember how God faithfully delivered them time and time again. This is exactly what the psalmist turns to God and petitions the Lord would do. The last part of our text in verses 18 through 23 clearly shows the psalmist's understanding of God's good and faithful character. To remember his covenant despite this ruined temple. This leads in today's last point. We are to remember God is faithful to his covenant. Point three, remember God is faithful to his covenant. Verses 18 through 23, just the last part of the section. The ending of this passage petitions for God to remember the enemy who destroyed his temple, reviled his name. Remember that he's the king of old. He petitions that God would deliver the Israelites and ask God to respect his covenant. 
that he's made with them. Like the psalmist, how we respond to the times of ruin of life should be to recount his faithfulness to his promise. The Israelites remind one another of God's past acts of deliverance by looking back to the Exodus story, how God's delivered them from the hands of Pharaoh. He implores them to remember the covenant he made with Moses, that they have been ripped from their homes, that God once gave to them, and now they're taken from their promised land to a foreign land. This is the evidence of even in exile, the Israelites, they had a good theology of remembrance. So my aim now here is to walk you briefly through biblical accounts of what happens when God remembers. We look at the flood story. The world was being ruined by evil, so God ruined his creation but saved one man, Noah, and his family through an ark to give deliverance. So when God remembered Noah while he was on the ark, he brought the ark to a stop. Then you look further, you look at Sodom and Gomorrah, the ruins and the evil of the people. God said, I'm going to bring ruin to this city. But when God remembered his covenant with Abraham, he rescued Lot. And then you look to the Israelites when they went to Egypt in slavery. What did God do? He remembered his people and sent Moses to go deliver them from the hands of Pharaoh. And after nine different plagues, he finally sent one last plague. And to prevent this plague from coming over the Israelites, what did they do? They sacrificed a lamb. And put the blood on the door. So the angel, the destroyer of God, the one who causes ruin, would not come to them. And this day was forever marked as a day of remembrance. And then God delivered them out of Egypt. Through the Red Seas. And then, right before they finally got to the promised land, Aaron... And all the priests and Levites, they went through in the river, stepped in their feet, it parted. And each of the 12 tribes took a stone of remembrance to remember this is a mightiness of our God to deliver us to the promised land. Do you see where this psalm is taking place within this theme? Did you notice it? Ruin? God remembers his covenant, then God delivers. Ruin, God remembers, God rescues. Easy way to remember it, three R's. Ruin, remember, rescue. Do you see where this psalm is coming from now? He is knowledgeable enough of his creator that he will deliver. That this is why the psalmist petitions to God in verse 20, have regard for your covenant. For the dark places of the land are full of the habitations of violence. Just like the psalmist remembers the Lord's faithfulness to deliver them in the midst of ruins in the Lord's house in exile, the psalmist is holding God's promise. He's holding God to his promises. He is remembering that God and his faithful character 
is the covenant-keeping king of old. Similarly, now we can remember the faithfulness of God in the new exodus. Just as they delivered under Pharaoh, now God gives us delivery, deliverance from the slavery of sin. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us to the kingdom of his beloved son in whom we have redemption and the forgiveness of sins. Colossians 1, 13 through 14. So today, as we gather as God's house to remember, not the deliverance of the exodus of Egypt, but rather the deliverance of this new exodus in Jesus. There is a man who was ruined destroyed, and through the destruction of his body came deliverance for all people. Jesus, the one who came and dwelt literally, tabernacled, tented among man. This man was the living temple of God. He was the one who was destroyed, yet God remembered. God remembered that in three days he would raise him up again. The one who was brought through the line of David, the king of ever to sit on the throne. The God-man who lived perfectly, died innocently. Taking our place on the crucifixion cross. And while, while all seemed hopeless and lost, his body was buried in the grave. Three days later, God built his temple back. He delivered this king from the grave he ascended to the right hand of God so that we might now be delivered from the ruined relationship that we had once had with the king of old now to be restored in Christ we are offered a relationship through him that we as Mark read in 1 Peter 2 can become his spiritual house his place of worship that we may now bring honor to his name by proclaiming the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into the marvelous light. The king now dwells in us because of his perfect, loving faithfulness to save his people from the eternal ruin and restore the world through building up the people as living stones, built up as a spiritual house of worship to offer spiritual sacrifices of worship to God. If you're here this morning and you're still living in the ruins of sin and you haven't trusted the Savior King, Jesus, please, please don't leave here without doing so. Remember what the King has done for you. Trust and hope in Him. If you need to, Let's talk and recount and remember all the great things the king has done for me and has done for you. This is why we remember his promises. This is why we celebrate every week the body broken and the blood shed. We remember the word because of his last supper. Just as the Passover was time to remember God's faithfulness to deliver the people from Egypt, we now remember the story of the king of kings delivering us from the hands of eternal ruin. So as you take the Lord's Supper this morning, remember the love of your Savior to give his body, 
and it be ruined for yours. Remember, not the sin you just committed last night, but remember the death that was died on behalf of yours 2,000 years ago. Celebrate with the outward sign of this invisible reality that God delivered you from the shame and guilt of sin. Take, eat, drink, and remember the body and the blood for you because Jesus remembered you on the cross. Remember while taking and eating, you're looking back to the cross in the past and then in the present. You're looking around and you're remembering together as one. We are the spiritual house and we all remember together. And it's something we can look forward to and remember what God has promised to do. The marriage supper of the Lamb, he's going to come back. He's going to restore and return all things and make them new. Remember in the past, present, and the future. Trust in this reality. Hope in the eternal king of kings who is more. Remember the faithful covenant-keeping God who's promised to build up his temple forever. Trust God, because God is not a God who forgets. Did you think God could forget? Do you think God could forget like I did this morning, almost forgot the recorder, had to go back home? No, God never forgets. For God to remember is just for him to call to mind and to ask him to instill his covenant in the perfect timing he has already planned. God never forgets. Let's trust the power and remember the covenant that God has given to us. Let's remember he is faithful to build up his temple forever and ever. Let's close in a word of prayer. Almighty King of kings, thank you for the power and the destruction of sin. Thank you that you are the God we can cry out to, the one whose past acts of deliverance we remember, he who instills deliverance to us in his new account, his new creation in our hearts through Jesus. Thank you for this new covenant. Lord, help us to remember and trust. Would we recall your covenant and let us never forget the power and might of your great name. Lord, would we be a church who remembers together and celebrates the unending love of our Savior forever. Amen.